I have had painful periods and cycles and incredibly heavy periods since I first started my period. And being a certified health coach and having so many talented menstrual health experts in my network has allowed me to use food as medicine and create lifestyle changes to improve my cycle. But I still suffer every month with pain before and during my period and even pain with ovulation. And I still have a pretty heavy flow. And that is where Elix comes in. Their cycle balance tincture is actually personalized just for you. So mine all say Samantha in handwritten lettering on the side of the bottle. And they include a tailored blend of medicinal herbs to holistically support menstrual symptoms by treating the underlying imbalances. And in fact, 93% of users have reported reductions in symptoms such as cramps, heavy bleeding, mood swings, irregular cycles, bloating, fatigue, anxiety and stress, migraines, PMS, and actually many more. I have already seen an incredible decrease in my pain and even if in my flow, something I thought I would just have to live with for the rest of my life. And I've even been experiencing less fatigue and fewer mood swings. So thank goddess for that. <laughs> and if you want to try this out and take the assessment and order your first bottle, you can use the code SamanthaN20 and you can get 20% off of your first order. If you use the code SamanthaN20, you'll do this at elixhealing.com or you can just use the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. Join me, your host, Samantha Nagel, a certified integrative nutrition health coach, poet, witch, and work in progress for grounding meditations, inspiring interviews, and reflections about spirituality, holistic health, and the world around us. Join in every Thursday as we explore what empowered spirituality means to us in today's world. welcome to the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. Uh, today's episode is another solo episode. By the way, if you have any input on what you would like me to talk about, I don't have as many guests booked for the next couple of weeks. So um, I am available to do more solo episodes. So if you do have something that you have questions about or want me to do a deeper dive on, feel free to let me know. You can find me on Instagram at Ms. Samantha Nagel and Nagel is spelled N-A-G-E-L. Okay. So today is my third and most likely final installment of my endometriosis journey, which I didn't plan on having it become a series, but um, I wanted to do something about what I wish I had known going into my laparoscopy procedure. Um, I had uh, the diagnostic one because they don't know if you really have endometriosis unless they take a little look-see. And then she also did excision and ablation while she was in there. So I wanted to do a video kind of just chronicling what I wish I had known. Um, I posted a lot on TikTok when I was really recovering in that first week. And it was really helpful um, for me prepping and while I was recovering to find TikToks and YouTube videos of people kind of just explaining what it was like to have this surgery. Because I know that you shouldn't necessarily go off of the advice of people on TikTok <laughs> instead of your doctor, 
but it's just really helpful to see like, oh yeah, it seems like everyone feels this way. Um, it seems like it's pretty normal just based on other people's experiences. Um, your doctor might be better than mine and she might, or they might give you more information, but I didn't really get a whole lot of information. And so I really had no clue what it was going to be like. So I wanted to chronicle my journey so that if you don't also know what to expect and you kind of feel really lost, maybe it could help you. Also, it's, it's different from hearing, like it's going to take one to two weeks to feel normal and it's going to take up to six weeks to recover. Like I knew that, but I didn't know what that meant or what that actually looked like. And whenever I would ask clarifying questions, they would just kind of repeat that. And I was like, still so confused as to what that looked like. So I thought I would dive into that with you. I have 10 things that I wish I had known um, before I got my surgery or while I was recovering from surgery. And I also wanted to start before I go into that list of just telling you what to expect. Yours will likely be different than mine in some aspect, but I just wanted to give you more of the not necessarily the medical or logistic side, but the maybe experience that might be possible for you to have. I'm not saying it'll be like mine, but maybe it's just good to know. Okay, so I'm just gonna dive right in. I'm gonna start from the very beginning. So I first went into my doctor. I went into a gynecologist and told her about the period pain and the ovulation pain and the heavy uh, bleeding that I was having. I have been telling my doctors that for years and there was never any real concern or care. That's just like, you know, how ladies be. <laughs> um, but my gynecologist, of course, saw something wrong with that. Um, and she scheduled me for an ultrasound. And so the ultrasound was both internal and external. Um, not comfortable <laughs> at all, um, but not the worst thing in the world. Um, I thought it was the worst thing. And then I had surgery, <laughs> but um, I will get into that later. Uh, so yeah, after the ultrasound, um, this is important. There was nothing, there was something found, but that was different. There was no um, sign of endometriosis on my ultrasound results. And this is super common with people who go in who are later diagnosed with endo and their ultrasounds are clear. So if you get a clear ultrasound and you feel like there's something that could be wrong, or if you even feel like you might have endometriosis, I want you to push to either get another provider or push to still do the diagnostic laparoscopy if that's what you want, because a lot of people, and my doctor didn't do this, which I'm really thankful for. A lot of doctors will be like, oh, no, you look good. There's no reason to do a surgery. Must be something else. And then they send people on their way. And then later... Sometimes years later, another doctor tells them that they do have endometriosis. So that is super common. Um, okay. And then flash forward, we got me scheduled for, scheduled for surgery. Um, I couldn't eat for, um, I think it was 12 hours before, but they just told me no, no food, um, at the beginning of the day. So I ate my last meal at 1130 PM. <laughs> Um, I was able to take my um, birth control or sorry, my um, antidepressants in the morning with a small sip of water. But other than that, no water, no food, which was really hard. They were even like, don't swallow any water when you brush your teeth. Um, yeah. So that was challenging. Um, and then I went into the hospital. I went, I got there two hours before I needed to be there. Um, well, I had to be there two hours early. Checked in. 
that's all pretty standard. Um, and then you get changed into your disgusting open butt um, gown and your little hairnet and they give you something to clean yourself off with. Um, and then, yeah, just a bunch of asking questions. I got an IV probably an hour before and I was getting a lot of, uh, it was hydration. I don't know if it was probably not water, but it was some, I think a saline solution to rehydrate me after not having drank water through all that time. And I was like, well, why do we have to rehydrate me when I could have been drinking water this whole time? But I know there's a reason. <laughs> um, yeah. And so people were filtering in and out. I was getting more and more nervous. They ask you what you're allergic to, whatever. Um, and at the very end, I was given a nausea medication through my IV. And then at the very end, I was given um, an anxiety medication through my IV, which I wish I had gotten sooner. <laughs> um my mother-in-law was with me and we had this really sweet nurse who had the same name as me. And so like sh my mother-in-law was being really cute and sweet and um, chatty and taking my mind off things. And the nurse was really being cute and sweet and like sarcastic in a nice way. And um, I feel like they bonded a lot. <laughs> um, it was just really sweet. So that really helped things and helped take my mind off of things. Um, and then uh, yeah, I was being wheeled back. I probably would have been nervous under most situations, but I was basically high as a kite. So I was cool with anything. Um, we got to the room, which like in retrospect, in my memory, my picture of the room is terrifying, <laughs> but I wasn't terrified at the time. I saw my doctor and I was like, oh my God, hi. Um, and they had me scoot over. And I remember being like, oh my God, my ass is out. And then I remember something going over my face and I was out. So of course your situation is going to look different. Um, but yeah, I was out and then I woke up and I, uh, started sobbing when I woke up and I was so anxious and I was so afraid. And I kept asking for my mom, my mother-in-law, and they kept saying like, she's here, she's here, but she's just not in the room with you. And I was like, well, then where is she? <laughs> um, my biggest thing was that I thought everyone was mad at me. I guess I, so you wake up and you don't remember it because the anesthesia has kind of a um, uh, amnesia effect. So I had woken up already. I guess I had asked my surgeon, my doctor, if she was mad at me. And my surgeon was like, what? <laughs> no, um, I guess she told me stuff. I don't know. And then fell back asleep. And then I woke up again, started crying. I asked the nurse if she was mad at me. There was a woman in the like we were separated by a cloth, but there was a woman on the other side. And I was like, is she okay? Do you think she's mad at me? And my nurse was like, why would she be mad at you? And I was like, oh, cause I'm so annoying. So I guess that's something to work through <laughs> that I think, yeah, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. And then uh, they, she helped me get dressed. The nurse was so sweet. Um, they gave me a lot of information, which was a lot to take in and didn't write a lot of it down, which that was a flaw. Um, and you're not allowed anyone with you. I've seen on TikTok and YouTube, most people have to pee before they can leave the hospital. Um, but that was not the case with me. They just like put my shorts on and my shirt on and then I was sent off. Um, my belly was very yellow because of the iodine that they use. Um, and I would recommend bringing a pillow to put between yourself and the seatbelts. I had planned on doing that and I forgot. So I didn't wear a seatbelt. Um, I was super out of it. I was uncomfortable, but I think all the stuff that they put in you, I was not really aware of any pain or discomfort. I was just like in my own world. 
went home, got in bed. Um, my mother-in-law made me soup. Um, your mouth is going to be very, very dry. So even things like it was a chicken noodle soup, but even the chicken chunks, which were very small, were way too much to chew. So the broth was okay. The noodles were okay. The carrots were okay. Even that like moist chicken was way too tough and chewy. Um, saltines were way too tough and chewy. So I had known that my mouth would be dry afterwards, but I didn't know that it was going to be that dry. So good to keep in mind that your meal afterwards should be like very, like it probably should be soup. If you can handle soup or a smoothie, something that's really easy to get into your body. Um, yes, yeah, so that's leading me into the first thing that I wish I had known, which is prep some meals for yourself. My partner is lovely and he was willing to go and pick up any food that I was craving and bring it back. So that was wonderful. Um, but there got to be a point where I was like, I just want to eat like home cooked food. Um, and I like, I don't want to eat out anymore. I just want food that tastes, there's just a difference. So if you are the same way, maybe someone is going to cook for you. Um, so that might be nice, but um, if it's just you, or if you have a very specific way that you like your food cooked, which is also me as well, I'm kind of a picky eater, um, then prep your food at least for the first couple of days, and then you can figure it out. Um, but having something like kind of soft, um, the first couple of days is really helpful. Um, when I asked about what I could and couldn't eat, she, the nurse was just like, I don't know. I think you should be fine to eat whatever. Um, but I found that soft foods were really, really um, preferable um, when I was just kind of coming out of everything. I also would say meal prep because I think that I, I don't know, I'm not sure, but I think it would have been nice to eat more anti-inflammatory foods right after my surgery, but that was not something that I had, I gave a shit about <laughs> when I was recovering from surgery. There was no part of me that wanted to do that. So I think if I had already made that decision for myself, before surgery, I think that would have been really, really helpful. Um, oh, another thing is TMI, but we're already this far in. <laughs> Talked about my ass being out, so I think we're ready for this. Um, is to make sure that you go to the bathroom right away. First of all, when you pee, it's gonna fucking hurt. Uh, mine really hurt. It burned, it was hard. Um, oh, and that's another thing I didn't even write down. I'll come back to the, the bathroom, but make sure there's someone with you, not just the first day, but the first couple or several days, at least three, because unfortunately you're going to need help going to the bathroom and that sucks so much, <laughs> but you're going to need help pulling down your pants and then pulling them back up again. And it's not something that you're going to enjoy, but you're also going to be in so much discomfort that you're not going to care. The embarrassment's going to not be there. Oh, actually, I have another one I'm going to add to my list. <laughs> I'm coming up with so many more as I'm talking. Okay, so yeah, have someone there to help you go to the bathroom and just be aware that they're going to see your butt and they're going to see you in the most unflattering way. Um, okay, so bathroom. Make sure that you poop as soon as you can. Um, I did not start the laxatives the first day. I started the laxatives the second day. I used Colace 100 milligrams and it was twice a day until you had a regular bowel movement. Um, and I started it the second day. I really wish I had started it the first day because if you, the faster you get it over with, the more you're going to help with the gas pain, which I'm going to get to in a second. 
Um, okay. The second thing I wish I had known was about the sleeping situation. So you can't sleep on your side at all, at least in the first one or two weeks. So what I had wished, I had actually seen this advice before to buy um, like a pillow that's meant to help you sleep on your back. I wish I had gotten it. And I saw that and I was like, no, I'll just, I have a nice pillow. I can just prop it up. No, I really wish I had gotten that pillow that I found because it, was it wasn't that expensive on Amazon. And I'll link the one that I'm talking about below if you are interested. Um, the first week, it was fine. I could fall asleep anywhere. <laughs> um, I would fall asleep pretty much everywhere I went. I would go like into my office and I would fall asleep there. I would go on the couch. I'd fall asleep there. I'd go to the bed. I'd fall asleep. Um, yeah, I wish I had. So yeah, it was, it was really easy to sleep, um, because I was just so tired, but the second week I still could not sleep on my side, but during that second week, I hadn't been exercising besides getting up once every hour and walking around for 10 minutes, which side note, you are not going to want to do, but you have to do it. So you can avoid getting the leg cramps or the leg blood clots. And also it's going to really help with the gas pains. But that's the only exercise I had been doing. Otherwise, it had just been listening to an audiobook, watching TV, taking a nap, repeat, <laughs> eating my soup, repeat. So I wasn't tired the second week and I was so done with sleeping on my back. I just wanted to sleep on my side because that's how I normally sleep. And it was really hard. I actually spent most nights on the couch because I was able to like cocoon myself in a little bit easier than the bed. And also, I since I wasn't as tired, every movement my partner made kind of hurt and would kind of wake me up because it would jostle the bed, which would jostle my belly. Um, so I slept on the couch. So that wasn't actually a bad idea. I felt guilty at the time, but in retrospect, I sure don't because <laughs> I had been burned on the inside. <laughs> so I didn't feel bad. I don't feel bad looking back on it. Uh, but yeah, I would get a pillow. Number three is get some wipes, get some body wipes before you go into surgery because you're not going to want to take a shower. I took a shower. I had surgery on Monday. I took a shower on Thursday and I really was only motivated to do that because of my partner. He didn't make me feel bad, but I just felt I was starting to get pretty self-conscious because I knew, I knew it was a little gnarly. Um, if I had lived alone, I wouldn't take a shower until Friday. Um, it's hard. It's really hard to take a shower. Um, I've never been more grateful for what my body can normally do for me. Um, some people have recommended getting a shower seat. I don't know. It, the act that was really hard was lifting my hands above my head to wash my hair, um, cause of that muscle that you use, which you never think about. Um, you don't think about how much you use your abdomen until you have surgery on your abdomen where you have some other reason to think about it. Um, so I'm not sure if a, a seat would have necessarily helped that. And it that discomfort of washing my hair and just kind of generally moving around in the shower didn't get better until week two. It was still pretty uncomfortable and a shower felt like a really big deal. So I would wipe myself down a lot, um, which helped me at least keep things under control. <laughs> um, another tip number, I don't even know what number we're on massage your belly. I didn't do this. Um, but someone reached out to me kind of at the end of my gas pain. So I didn't really, I wasn't really able to use it, but they said to massage the belly 
um, not on the scars or anything, but just give it a gentle but firm pressure and do circles on the belly to try and help disperse the gas pain. So one of the things that drove me crazy was anytime I said to someone that I was having gas pain, they were like, oh yeah, you know what really helps me when my stomach is upset, dot, 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 when they have gas. But here's the thing, <laughs> the gas pain that you have during surgery is not the same in any way as gas pain from indigestion or people who are just regularly bloated. Because when they do the surgery, they fill you up with gas, with CO2, so that your belly gets huge, like a little balloon, so that they have more room to look around and see what they're doing. And then when they're done, they take out that gas, but they can't get all of it. So that gas stays in the abdomen, in the belly, and even travels up to your chest and to your shoulder. And it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and this is the thing. That's one of the things I really want to highlight too. When they tell you that you're going to have gas pain, you don't know what it's like. Because I remember my surgeon said that I saw people on TikTok and YouTube talking about the gas pain. And I was like, oh, I can handle gas pain. Like, okay, whatever. I've had gas pain. No, you have not. Unless you've had the surgery. No, you have not had that kind of gas pain. It feels like it's all that gas is pressing up against your insides and it's just traveling around your body. And you know, things like a bowel movement can help, but nothing is really going to get that gas pain out of you until it's ready to come out. And you can do things like the massage, which you should do sooner rather than later. I wish I had done that and kind of just help disperse it. And that will help it kind of leave the body or at least not be so concentrated. And you can try pressure you can try a heating pad that just kind of alleviates the discomfort, but things like GasX don't work. I sure tried GasX and I probably would do it again just because I was like, I'm just taking my chance here. But movement is one of the things that helps the most with gas pain. And when you have gas pain, that is the last thing that you want to do is move and walk around. It's so uncomfortable. Um, if you kind of move your arms in circles, that can help with the gas pain that might be in your chest. Maybe even just doing like gentle sways might help kind of disperse that gas pain, but it's really uncomfortable. And when you're having it, it feels like it's going to last forever. But in retrospect, now a month out, I can see that it only really lasted maybe three days or four days, which when you're on your third or fourth day of gas pain, <laughs> that's really intense. It feels like a very long time, but it it's going to be over before you know it. I promise. Um, on that note, peppermint tea, this is something that I did. It's supposed to kind of help alleviate the pain of gas. I don't really know if it did, to be honest, <laughs> um, but it's something that I did and something I would do again. Um, yeah, the gas pain just hurts so bad. Okay. I think the next thing I want to touch on is infection care. So I wasn't give. I'm not going to give you infection care advice because I don't know what yours looks like, but I was not really given any proper instructions. Um, they just told me to leave it alone completely. And I called the clinic twice and was like, are you sure I shouldn't be doing anything? And they were like, yeah, just leave it alone. Leave it covered, leave it dry. If when you take a shower, let it, let the water run over it and then dry it. 
So I was like, okay. Um, and when I went in for my two week post-op, she was like, oh my gosh, why haven't you taken your things off? And I was like, oh, because they told me not to. Um, and because of that, it did get a little bit infected, not seriously infected, but it did get a little, <laughs> the other two healed just fine, but I still have one that is in the midst of healing. So I don't really have necessarily advice because it's all different. And I still am not quite sure what I should have done, but get your surgeon to tell you explicitly what to do with your incision. And don't be afraid to ask multiple times if it doesn't feel right. Um, and don't be afraid to call. I called the hotline a lot and I felt embarrassed. And I was like, I know this is no big deal or feels like it's no big deal, but your body, unless you've had a surgery before it, your body is like, what the hell is happening to me? You know, I kept thinking like my great, 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 great grandmother never had her insides blown up like a balloon with robot arms sticking in them and then had shit burned and cut off. Like that's not something that my ancestral body knows how to handle. And so your body similarly does not really know what is going on. And you don't know what's going on if you've never had that experience before. So call. I, it's okay if you're annoying. These people aren't your friends. They're not your family. You're never really going to see them again. So if you annoy them, it's okay to annoy them. And that's literally their job. And you're paying probably a lot of money. That's another thing um, to have this done. Actually, as a, a little additional note, I would say definitely check with your insurance staff. When I first got it scheduled, I was like, I don't have to pay anything because I have insurance. <laughs> no, look into what your max out of pocket is and look at how much you have left on that and your deductible. You're probably going to pay that amount because it's really expensive. Although I saw what the bill was versus what I had to pay. And I was like, okay, well, the insurance did cover a lot of it. I will admit. <laughs> um, okay. I feel like I didn't have a good estimate of how long it would really take, such as things like cooking and bending over and lifting things. So they told me I couldn't lift 20 pounds for six weeks, but what about the stuff in between like five pounds and 20 pounds? I don't think right now I could be lifting 15 pounds, even though technically that was what she said. So I think that's very vague. And I know that everybody is different. So I'm just going to tell you what my experience was like. I think I cooked my first meal after a week. Um, and that was tough. I was sore afterwards. I think it's the, the slight twists and turns that you do. And even stirring something does put some pressure on your abdomen and you do use your core to do things like stir. Um, so I wish I had known that that would be something that I experienced. And it really made me wonder people who don't live with another person or don't have another person to stay for a long time. I don't know how that seems like it'd be really, really tough because, and that's why meal prep would be really, really helpful in that situation, or at least buying things that, you know, you can eat um, ahead of time, like a frozen meal or something. Um, I think cooking felt fine after like two weeks. Um, bending over still feels tender and I'm a month out. I can bend over like for something quick now and then, but if it's extended, like I can't be on my hands and knees scrubbing right now, that would be really uncomfortable. I still can't lift things 
uh, like things like the groceries. It's really hard for me to carry the groceries from, you know, the car to the door and don't be brave. <laughs> Cause I think there have been days where I'm like, I just don't want to bother Marcos. I'll just do it myself. Or like, it's just driving me crazy that something's on the floor or whatever. And I would just do it myself. And the, the unique pain <laughs> that comes from aggravating such a tender spot is so interesting. It feels um, to me like, like a pins and needles feeling like a fuzzy feeling, um, a tingling feeling and it, but not in a good way. <laughs> um, feels very uncomfortable to push it. That's another thing I wish I had known was not to push it. I definitely pushed it. Um, the, I think it was like 10 days after my surgery, I went to a graduation and then went to a dinner and then had people at my house for the weekend. I, which was a special situation. And I don't know in retrospect, like what I could have done differently. Um, maybe not gone to dinner or not gone to the ceremony, but that was incredibly tough. And that, that really pushed it. Um, and I even called like, why does it still hurt? And she was like, I think maybe you probably pushed it. And I think you really need to chill out. So actually do rest. And here's another thing. I have more than I wrote down, <laughs> even though there's going to be a point where you're going to feel better mentally and you're going to have more energy, but it's going to hurt to extend the energy. And that is the part that I found really tricky. And that was around two weeks two, three, four weeks um, afterwards, because I have the energy and I have the want to do yoga or to um, like just unload the dishes or whatever. But then I do the thing that I feel like, oh yeah, that's fine. I'm not in any pain, whatever. I do that thing. And then I feel really weird for the rest of the day. And I have that tingly, crampy feeling. Um, so don't push it. And I know I know it's hard. I remember people even saying things like, you know, don't do any ab workouts. I know it's going to be hard, but don't, or don't unload the dishwasher. I know it's going to be hard. And I was like, you're telling me that I don't have to do crunches for six weeks or unload the dishes. And you're telling me that's going to be hard. No, thanks. It's going to be amazing, but it is hard. It does get hard, especially with, I just feel so uncomfortable being dependent on someone else like that. And I, I really didn't like it which takes me to my next thing, which is that it's lonely. It's lonely to be in recovery. Even if like my partner was wonderful and he took really great care of me. Um, but also he still had work and he still has his own needs to meet. And he still has to do the other half of the chores that he doesn't usually do. So he was busy. He didn't have all day to spend watching TV with me, which is fair. <laughs> Um, someone's got to pay the bills. No, um, I had sick leave. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, it's really lonely. And I wish I had been more vocal about like wanting company during that time. Cause I really could have benefited from company that wasn't just one person. Cause I, I think I put a lot of my emotional needs on that one person. Um, and I just, I felt so unhappy and so lonely. People don't know um, what it's like either. I think a lot of people were like, oh, Marcos is there. He's got it. He's got it taken care of. I don't need to kind of worry about her or like what's going on with them, but we could have used a lot more help. And I 
I really could have used a lot more emotional support. And I wish that one, I had known that. So I would have known to kind of set that up. And two, I wish that I had the, um, the self-awareness is part of it because I was not my most self-aware self at that time, um, to ask for it, to realize what was going on, to see that we really needed help and that things were falling through the cracks. Like the dogs didn't still haven't been getting a lot of walks because they pull so much. I can't walk them yet. It was really frustrating. And they just had so much energy and they were running around the house. Like, I just, I really wish I had asked for more support and, um, both emotional and just logistical support. So that would be something to set up that I would really recommend. Um, similarly, I'm an Enneagram too, which means that I find the most purpose or I feel the most, um, like I'm, I feel loved whenever I can provide support for other people and when I can help other people. And I have that belief that whenever I have needs, it makes me less lovable. So this triggered a lot of stuff because, and a lot of part of what the Enneagram two does is that they are so perceptive and like Enneagram two comes from trauma too. So I'm not saying it's like, just, I was gifted with this, but so perceptive and they watch people so carefully that they know kind of what to do to meet someone's needs without that person really having to communicate. And so that's great. And that's beautiful. And that makes, that's why they're called the helper or the caretaker. But then we have this assumption that other people would take care of us in the same way that we would do. If I had a friend or a loved one or a family member going through surgery, I would do a very specific set of things that would probably be very helpful and very nurturing. And people were willing to do things, but they, they didn't just do it how I would have done it. And that's where that communication comes in handy. And I should have said like, this is exactly what I want. That if you can handle it, if you have the capacity for this, this is what I want. And I, I didn't have the self-awareness to do that at the time. So that also brought up feelings too. Um, okay, what else? So yeah, it's emotional. Um, it's hard to be needy. And also the... Oh, okay. I actually have two more. I have three more. So the first one I'll say is, or the next one I'll say is be prepared for the period and or ovulation that comes after your surgery, because it might be fine. I've talked to people who their period was just magical and like, didn't have any pain. And that's amazing. But my first period was horrific. It was a little less bad than the gas pain, but it was worse than the abdominal pain that I had immediately after surgery. It was horrific. I was crying. It was to the point where the, I started taking again. Oh, that's another thing. I'm going to write that down. I started taking the medication again that I had been taking earlier. Um, and even that didn't like really curb the cramp pain. So the first period was awful for me. However, it was really light and it was really short. I was done bleeding on day four and I'm usually done bleeding on day seven. So that's amazing. And my doctor didn't tell me that that was a possibility. And also the first ovulation that I was kind of aware of is happening now. That is super painful. I'm someone who usually has ovulation pain, um, but this was just different. So just be aware. And I remember when it started happening, I was like, oh my God, I think I'm dying. And then I was like, oh, I'm just ovulating. (laughs) 
Isn't that relatable? And the thing that I suddenly reminded myself of was the medication. So I'm one of those people who like really doesn't like to take ibuprofen or Tylenol. Um, so I was like, oh, you know, the sooner I can be off of the medication, the better. Um, I really wish anytime I started to try and taper off of the ibuprofen or Tylenol, um, it really hurt. And I just think that was, I should have just stuck it out. Um, and I think my worry was like, oh no, what if I'm damaging my liver or whatever, my kidneys, it's fine. <laughs> you're probably not, you're probably going to be okay. Um, your body just had surgery. It needs the pain relief because if you get off of your schedule of taking your pain medication, it's that pain is really going to come in and it's going to be harder to contain like those period cramps I was talking about. And then how I had the 600 milligrams of ibuprofen and it still didn't really cool the pain off until I had several of my ibuprofen doses. And then it kind of got under control again, similar to that. If you can just keep it under control the whole time, that's much better. And then you can worry about like, taking care of your liver, kidneys, or whatever, after you're done, if you don't usually take a lot of Tylenol or ibuprofen, you're probably going to be just fine. Um, just like allow yourself to have pain relief because it's so worth it. Um, okay. And this is about the post kind of care, like the follow-up. The first thing I didn't know was how I would feel being diagnosed with endometriosis. At first, at first I was so scared because I didn't know if I was going to have it. So my thought was, what if I just paid for this very expensive thing? I put my body through a really hard thing and I'm in pain and it was for nothing. And I don't even have endometriosis. That was my biggest fear. So when I woke up from surgery and I realized I had endometriosis, I was relieved because I was so thankful that it wasn't for nothing. And then I went in for that follow-up and she told me I had endometriosis and we were talking about treatment that something clicked for me. And I, I spent the next couple of days feeling so low and so overwhelmed and so sad. And like, because it is a chronic illness, um, you can do different things to decrease your symptoms and decrease the likelihood of it spreading, but you'll never not have endometriosis. Once you're diagnosed with endometriosis, you have it. Um, and I think the weight of that really fell when I was officially diagnosed with it. And I think that was not something I was aware or thinking would happen. Um, I thought I would just have the surgery and that was going to be the hardest part, but I kind of realized like, oh fuck, the hardest part is now that I, that I like have to make all these decisions. And I, my last episode was about that. So I won't go into it too much, but yeah, it was really hard. And there's a grief that comes with that. Um, there's a grief that comes with having to worry about your health in this way that you probably weren't worried before. Um, and so I didn't really let myself grieve at first. I dove into research and books and articles and videos. Um, and I really wish I hadn't have done that because the information would have been there in a couple of days. <laughs> you know, the, the decision I made was not dependent on those few days of me intensely worrying and researching. 
And maybe that's what I had to do. Maybe I wasn't ready to feel the full grief of that, but I would just allow yourself to feel all the feelings that come up when you realize that you in fact do have endometriosis. And the last thing is there, I just want you to be aware of, and you might be totally okay with this and it might work for you. Um, there is going to be a big pressure to go on birth control. So it is worth thinking about maybe even before your surgery, what do I want my treatment options to be once I'm on the other side of this surgery? Do I want it to be birth control? And if that answer is yes, amazing. I guess there's actually the option of putting an IUD in there while they're down there, which, and while you're out, which sounds awesome. I don't really want an IUD. Um, but I was thinking about getting an IUD. I was thinking about the Marina cause that would be one of the treatment options. And when I was thinking about it, I really kicked myself for not having that conversation beforehand and possibly just having them put it in while I'm already out. Cause that would be, if that's what you want, you should do it then because it's so painful. I've heard, um, and understandably so, um, which is just another rant I could go on. Um, but yeah, just know that that's something that you're going to have a lot of pressure to do. And if you don't want to do it, then you should know that kind of going in so you can have that conversation and be prepared for that conversation. Okay. I think that's everything. I hope this helped you if you're getting ready for your surgery, whether it's your first or second or third or whatever, I really hope that you find this helpful. Or if you're thinking about having the surgery, I hope you find this helpful. Despite how uncomfortable it was and how expensive it was, I would do it again. I absolutely would do it again. And I think besides the horrific pain that I had for two or three days of my period, the experience of not clotting, of not bleeding through the bed, of not of only bleeding for a couple of days um, and then spotting for a couple of days after that was so incredible. Um, and I know the pain doesn't last every cycle. It's just those first couple as your body is getting readjusted to what the hell's happening after you burned the insides of it. <laughs> um, I would do it again. And knowing even if I had done this and it turned out I didn't have endometriosis, one, now I think that would have been an amazing option, even though I was worried about it. Um, but even if that was the case, I would still go through this pain to have that information because one, so many people aren't offered this, um, and not to be like endorsing toxic positivity, but so many people have to fight for years and years to even have their initial surgery, um, that if you have one scheduled, I would say do it because you're so lucky to be in a place where that's an option for you. I mean, obviously think about what you want. I'm not trying to pressure you in any way. Um, and the pain does go away. Like I said, it feels so excruciating in the beginning, but it does get better. Um, and if I had to spend six weeks not being able to put away the dishes, I would do it all over again. So yeah, I hope that helps. Um, I hope you feel less alone. And if you have any questions too, seriously, you can DM me on Instagram. Um, I would be happy to tell you about my experiences anyways. That was one of the most, I think that was the most helpful thing was even people I didn't know being able to see their experiences or even ask them questions. That was incredible. So I hope that helps. Feel free to reach out and good luck.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Empowered Spirituality. If you liked what you heard today, it would mean so much if you shared with a friend or gave it a rating or review so that it can reach even more people. If you want to connect further, perhaps you can consider joining the low-cost monthly membership for virtual new moon circles, weekly guided meditations, tarot pools, and a Discord community. You can find that at ko-fi.com slash bloomingwild, or you can visit my website, samanthanagel.com, to work with me further.